0: The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he sat at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Amen. So has anyone here been to the Light exhibit at OMSI? Do you know what I'm talking about? There's if you've been to OMSI, they have that big uh, the big room that has all of the like permanent experiments. Uh, and there's little offshoot rooms. Uh, one has like electricity uh, one of them is this sort of, it's almost like a closet, it's really small, and it has a curtain in front of it, and it's where you can go and do all the little light experiments. Uh, it's, it's always dark in there, so that way you can actually see the experiments since they're, they're light-based. But there's, there's a, a, a number of uh, fun or interesting uh, little experiments. You can play with some lasers, you can you know turn knobs and dials. But one of, one of the ones that I have always I don't know, I've, I've always just found it interesting every, every time, it's a very simple one. Um, but it's the, it's the prism, you know, like you send a light through it, and then on the other side, you see a rainbow of colors. Right? If you, even if you haven't been to OMSI, you'll be familiar with this little experiment if you uh, are familiar with Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon, right? If, you are, if, that, if you're also not familiar with Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon, that is incorrect. Um, <laughs> But anyway, it's a very straightforward experiment. You have a prism; it's usually made of glass or plastic, and you you send a beam of white light through it, and then on the other side you get a rainbow of colors. And it's it's simple. There's nothing um, there's nothing I don't know particularly profound about it. But I've I've always been I don't know I always I always find it uh, I always find it interesting because you you get this chance to learn. Something about light that is true of the light always, but you might not necessarily perceive. But of course, the prism itself isn't actually all that special, or meaningful, or interesting of its own of its own right. Um, if you just saw it in the room, it would just look like a a shape sitting on a desk. You might mistake it for a paperweight. Um, even, even the experiment itself isn't going to really tell you anything about the prism. I, if, you, if you're an expert in optics, you might be able to discern a thing or two, but, but by and large, uh, the, the purpose of the experiment is not so that way you can learn something about the prism. The purpose of the experiment is so that way you can learn something about the light. And, of, and it's, it should also be noted that the prism doesn't do anything to the light. It doesn't change anything about the light. What you see on the other side of the prism has always been true about the light, the, the beam of white light that goes into the prism. Rather, the, the prism just helps us to see those wavelengths that have already been there that, were there, that were there the whole time. We just, we couldn't perceive them. So as a result, what makes the prism valuable isn't what it can do to light, because it, I mean, it doesn't really do anything to the light. Rather, it's what that light can do through it. Uh, this is a, a rather simple uh, comparison, but I think it's a, it might prove a helpful illustration for us as we think about why it is we observe the lives of the saints, of the church, like we, like we do St. Matthew today. Today we are recognizing the Feast of St. Matthew, which was technically yesterday, but uh, I got my calendar dates wrong, so we're doing it today. Uh, the saints are, kind of, are for us kind of like these little prisms that when light passes through we, we learn something more about the light. That the work of Christ uh, in, in the lives of the saints might tell us something here or there about the saint his or herself, but really, it, it really draws us more into a, a deeper understanding of who God is, of how God works in the world, and the marvelous things that God is doing through his own creation. And I, I sort of take all this time to, to make this long preface because if you're like me, then today might be a bit of an odd liturgy for you. Um, gr- growing up, I was never part of a, of a church that was gathered, a church service that was sort of organized the, around the life of a particular uh, saint or notable person other than maybe a funeral where there's a, a eulogy, so you kind of think about the life of of someone who, you know, was a, was a follower of, of Christ. But, but as a result, there's, within me, because of my evangelical Protestant background, I think on the, the feast day of a saint, I have this kind of knee-jerk reaction that wants to say, this is really odd, and we might be going down a tangent that we shouldn't be, that maybe, uh, you know, we're being distracted. You know, shouldn't we be spending our time thinking about, focused on on the Trinity, on on God, on the the work of Christ? Why are we uh, why are we spending time, uh, you know, propping propping up a saint? But I'm learning quickly that attending to the witness of the saints does precisely what that witness is meant to do. It points us directly back to Christ, much like the the, the prism uh, by by looking at the light as it passes through, we are going to learn quite a bit more about the light. We are going to learn more about the properties of, uh, of the light uh, when, we, when, we, when we give ourselves a little, a little time and focus on, uh, on one of the prisms that that light has passed through, so to speak. And so today we're, we're going to do just that. We're going to take a, a short look at the life of St. Matthew um, and in doing so, my, my hope is that we are going to see. We'll see a, a thing or two about Matthew, but hopefully, we'll we'll learn a, a good deal more about about Christ. So, from the New Testament, we really only have a few details that are about Matthew explicitly. Uh, we know that his name was Matthew. Uh, interesting detail. Uh, actually, it's made a little more interesting because apparently, he also went by the name Levi. Uh, I personally don't understand people who have one name and go by another, but there it is. Uh, he was a customs officer or a tax collector. Uh, his dad uh, was conceivably a man named Alpheus, So, if you're taking notes, make sure you get that down. Uh, we know that Jesus obviously told him to follow him. We know that he did follow Jesus. Uh, we knew that. We know that after having followed Jesus, he threw Jesus a little soiree, and. That about ends the list of information we have from from, from, the, from the New Testament about Matthew himself. Uh, of course, there's other things that are implied. We know that as one of the disciples, he would have, uh, he would have followed Jesus from the point of his conversion onward. Um, he would have traveled with him where he went. He would have seen the miracles. He would have been sent out by Jesus. Uh, he was a witness to the resurrection. Uh, he was with the other apostles in Mary at Pentecost. Uh, and we know that he would have proclaimed the gospel. Church tradition says that he proclaimed it uh, in Judea, and then went uh, to, um, to to Egypt, where he was ultimately martyred. So that is kind of the that that's really all the New Testament has to say about him. But of course, there are some pieces of information that we can still glean, um, particularly if we if we look at what we know about um, about him from from these few spare uh, biographical details. Um, we can learn quite a bit about who Matthew likely was before he encountered Christ. Uh, and then we can obviously see uh, what he was like after having encountered Christ. So we'll, we'll start there. Matthew uh, obviously was a, a tax collector. Uh, this meant, in, in his context, this meant he would have been working for uh, for Herod. Um, and Herod was kind of a like a, a client or, or puppet king of the Roman Empire. Um, And Matthew's job was to set up a booth, and as people were coming by, he's basically collecting road tolls or import customs or sales tax. Uh, But the role of a tax collector, as I'm sure many of us are are aware, uh, and scripture kind of attests to when it it speaks of of people being surprised that Jesus associated with tax collectors, tax collectors tended to attract a, a bit of a dodgy crowd. Um, the, the way it worked is, is you, you're there, and you get to decide however much tax is, is owed. So if I go to the grocery store and, and spend $20, and I pass by your booth, and you say, yep, your tax is $30, that's, that's, that's what I have to pay you. Um, so being a tax collector meant being the kind of person who was really motivated by a few things. One was certainly greed because um, as the tax collector, you only were responsible for giving back to, to Herod or, or to Rome a certain amount. So anything you collect over and above that, that's just going into your pocket. And since you can tell people that they owe you however much you want them to, you have a really lucrative opportunity to be making uh, a good amount of scratch here. But you also sort of have to be willing to exploit people to do so. Uh, you have to have this sort of moral indifference to the well-being of your of your neighbors, and, and in fact, it's a it's a job that really um, probably rewards being uh, exploitative. This is the kind of profession that, or this is the kind of person that the profession of being a tax collector would, uh, you know, would 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 invite. And conceivably, this is a would be an apt description of Matthew. Um, we can we can probably assess that Matthew was. Uh, not not merely motivated by a desire to uh, to you know to, to generate for himself some some money, uh, he was probably deeply committed to uh, to nurturing a very deep seated greed uh, and and willing to do just about anything to feed that greed. And so when Jesus comes along and 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 tells him to to follow after. We have to keep in mind that Jesus is, is is saying to him, "Come with me, we are going to uh, we 're going to go and and be broke together all around uh, the Judean countryside. If you are someone who is deeply motivated by greed, that is probably going to not sound like a particularly enticing offer all right so that 's one, that's one thing that we have to keep in mind about about Matthew before he encounters Christ, but there is another dimension to this, and that is you know, he's, he's collecting however much he wants to collect um, to benefit himself, but also, ultimately, to benefit the Roman government as well, which means he is, uh, he is stealing from his own countrymen to, uh, to benefit the coffers of, of their oppressors. This makes Matthew um, seem, if not like a full-blown traitor to his own, to his own kin, uh, at least someone who is willing to sell himself out to the powers that be. And the reason that this is uh, sort of a, a is going to add some tension into, into the mix, is Jesus, a number of, of Jesus's followers, including a couple of, of his, of the members of his own, you know, group of, of 12 disciples, are people who were called zealots. Uh, and the zealot movement was you can think of it as exist, is is de- describing people that exist probably somewhere between like a highly nationalistic militia, all, like that on one end of the spectrum, and then the other end of the spectrum is like a full-blown domestic terror cell. So those are the, those are the people who are uh, who are traveling with Jesus, the kind of people who have a desire to violently overthrow Rome, uh, which is. A government that Matthew himself has cozied, has cozied himself quite up to. So when Jesus says, "Come and follow me," he's not only saying, "Give up your stockpile of of, of you know dishonestly earned wealth," he's also saying, "And come hang out with a, gr- a group of people who hate you, uh, and some of some of whom are going to have vitriolic contempt for you." I, I'm working on them too, man, but come and follow me in the meantime. This is, this is the choice that faces Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth, uh, is to either heed Jesus' call and recognize that the life he is living is indefensible, that he needs to repent for it, he needs to leave it behind, to turn away from his, from his greed and his wealth, and his connections to power in exchange for a life of, we'll just say, job insecurity, poverty, surrounded by people with, no, with nothing resembling social or political connection amongst a group of people who probably hate him. And if we can imagine ourselves for a moment in Matthew's position, we'd have to ask, does that sound worth it? Does leaving a life of as much money as you can possibly make for yourself with powerful connections for a life of of poverty with with our we'll say strange bad fellows to say the least. Does that sound like if it were an, an offer put before us, we would be gung-ho to jump at it. Clearly, Matthew saw something more in what was being on offered because in that moment of encountering christ matthew was was given the same choice that as father stephen has been saying for several weeks every one of us has he had the choice in that moment between god and not god and what we see is in truth he chose god and got up and left everything else behind and because he did so Because he he got up and followed after Christ, we we get a glimpse into what it looks like when Christ is at work in the life of a a sinner. Uh, Almost immediately, we see Jesus' influence on Matthew because that same night, he calls together all of his buddies, all of his his chums, uh, which are invariably going to be other tax collectors or uh, you know, maybe some, some the, the folks that, that are perhaps a bit shadier. And he calls them together to, to throw a dinner because in encountering Christ, the first thing that Matthew recognizes as necessary is that others also encounter Christ. This man who had made a career out of never considering the needs or the circumstances of the people he interacted with, is now calling together everyone that he knows so that they can be presented with the very same opportunity he was. God or not God. Because he recognizes that Jesus came to save people just like him. As 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 Matthew records Jesus defending to those to those interlocutors who were challenging Jesus on who he was dining with, Matthew makes a point. To, to recognize that Jesus, Jesus says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And the thing we see Matthew doing is calling sinners around to be made well from the illness that plagues him, from the greed that is poisoning them, to be called into righteousness. That is to say, right away, we see Matthew doing work that is Christ-like. This is one of those moments where the light goes through the prism and we see what it looks like on the other side. This is what it looks like, to have Christ at work in your own being almost immediately. Matthew is imitating the work of Jesus. From, from the very hour that he begins following Jesus, he, the newness of himself is noticeable. The influence of Christ in his life is noticeable. He already begins looking less like the man who made a name for himself, exploiting his neighbors, and starts looking like a man who cares about his neighbor, who cares about the needs of those around him. That is to say, he starts looking like Christ. You know I think there are when we when we think about some of the lives of the saints there are some saints who seem uh, a little unrelatable they they the people whose lives seem like from the very beginning they were captivated by the truth of the gospel and their lives are this like heightened example of pious commitment to the to the things that are of the kingdom of god and so those saints we tend to be inspired by them because of how strongly they contrast with our lives. But then there are those saints whose lives uh, inspire us because of how closely they mirror our lives. And I think Matthew qualifies as one of these, one of the latter groups. Uh, This is someone who is so deep in his own greed and in his own sin that he probably doesn't even have an appreciation for the gravity of the moral decay at work in his own being. That sounds a bit more like me than maybe someone like Mary, who can utter off the Magnificat, uh, right? At you know being being told that what the work God wants to do through her. Yeah, know I'm 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 a little more like Matthew. Uh, maybe I recognize I need to repent, but I probably don't recognize how much I need to repent, right? But Jesus comes along in Matthew's life, and he plucks him out, and he, and he reshapes him, and he changes his purpose, and he makes him finally more like the person that he had always been meant to be, a person who is in the very image of Christ, who does the work of Christ, who is notable for his imitation of Christ. And I want that to sound like me as well. Because when we look at the, at the man that Matthew was before he is encountered by Christ, and we look at the man that Matthew was after he encounters Christ, there we see the influence, the, the, the marvelous activity of Christ in the life of those whom he calls The man who sat at the table robbed people for the benefit of Rome, but the man who followed Jesus became a brother to the people who wanted to overthrow that same government. The man at the table did not care about his neighbors. The man who followed Jesus brought his neighbors near and close to Christ. The man at the table cheated his countrymen out of their wages, all for the glory of some distant tyrant. But the man who followed Jesus gave freely to them the treasure of the gospel, written and recorded that it might be read and read and practiced again and again, all for the glory of the true king who draws so deeply near to each he encounters. Because Jesus makes all things new. Because Jesus makes us new. That is what we learn by looking at the life of Saint Matthew. That is what is proved by looking at the life of Saint Matthew. If if even Matthew can be called from his table into a life of holiness, if he can follow even unto death life in Christ, if he can be so remade into the very person, into the very likeness of the person of Christ, and do the ministry of Jesus to the ends of the earth, then surely Christ can do the same thing in us. Surely the very same vapid and trivial obsessions we occupy ourselves with can also give way to the permanent and profound realities of the kingdom of heaven. So as we remember St. Matthew, this this little prism through which the brilliant light of Christ passes and reveals a spread of glorious new detail on the other side, May we also heed the calling to follow after Christ. I I, I sincerely, sincerely hope that every one of us will be profoundly challenged to consider where we are too smitten with our own treasure and comforts, especially those treasures and comforts that we enjoy on the backs of others, and that we would find in Christ the reason and the strength to put those behind us. I hope that we would become more and more with each passing day the kind of people who will choose to learn how to love and be loved by the people that we otherwise would have hated, to learn how to make family out of our enemies, to learn how to share life deeply with the kind of people we otherwise try to avoid. I hope that by the compulsion of the Holy Spirit, each of us finds ourselves jumping at every opportunity to gather around anyone who is in our sphere of influence so that way they may have their deep and abiding need to encounter Christ met as our deep and abiding need to, count, to encounter Christ is met. Now, of course, as, as we noted, the, uh, the calling of Matthew is inspiring because of what he gave up, which is interesting because I think any one of us would look at his story and say, oh, he made, uh, he made quite a good trade. That was a very good exchange rate. Uh, he uh, forfeited death and received life. Not a bad rate. Uh, but we have, to, we have to remember that in that moment, all of the nothing that Matthew could lay claim to was still probably fairly precious to him. And so as we we seek to follow this this challenging call to live our lives given over to Christ, we are are faced with the same challenge of having to learn how to give up the nothing that is very precious to us. That, that, That difficulty that was present to Matthew Uh, is not a foreign difficulty to us. He lost nothing giving it up, but it still probably seemed like an expensive bargain. And if we're being honest with ourselves, there are those precious parts of our lives that probably seem like an expensive uh, exchange to take on the things of Christ. And so why so I would like to end by basically re- reiterating the collect that we said earlier today in honor of St. Matthew's Day, uh, that, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ would grant each of us the grace to forsake all covetous desires and inor- inordinate love of riches, and that we may follow him just as St. Matthew did and proclaim to the world around us the good news of his salvation. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, Christ lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen.